0: I don't know about you, but I'm blessed every time I hear Ben bring the word. And I know somebody said that they look around, Don told me, look around, some of you just close your eyes and listen, because that's how the early church heard the letters of Paul. And every time Ben recites, because God's using him that way, I learn a little something more about the passage because it comes as a whole. So Ben, you come and minister the word to us. First Corinthians Four.
1: Good morning, chapter four, excuse me. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, As though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray.
0: Father, we thank you for your word, how powerful it is, how just reading it, listening to it feeds our heart, gives us direction, gives us hope, convicts us. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing to our thoughts. So Lord, this morning, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, that each one of us might be spirit-filled as we listen. Lord, that you might make us more like Jesus as the word makes a home in our heart this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians four is about supernatural leadership, five characteristics of godly pastors. But as I said, not like we look at first Timothy three or Titus one, it, that'd be kind of like knowing everything about a wide receiver or quarterback by just telling them they what they do, quarterbacks hand the ball off and they pass the ball and sometimes they run it. Receivers catch the ball. But then when you see a film of like Wallace Francis in the old days when he would catch passes for touchdown or catch a kickoff and run it all the way back, so that's, that's a lot different, there's color there. We really get the idea. Here, we not only see some characteristics, but we get to look inside and what Paul thinks of himself, what his place is in the world. And we get to see him as he actually teaches some people that are contrary to the word of God and how he handles the situation. In chapter three, we looked at the church as supernatural ministry. It's God's family, God's field, and God's temple. In chapter four, we see this supernatural leadership a godly, spirit-filled pastor is a supernatural gift to the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says that God gave some apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. This is how Paul wants us to think about pastors. Now, Every elder that's in here, John, Bragg, Lynn, Sam, just get ready because at the end, you're gonna come and stand up here with me because sometimes people get the idea when we're talking about the office of pastor, spiritual leader, we're talking about this, this one guy. We're not. We are blessed with so many godly elders. Now there's elders who are pastors, who are bishops. It's all the same, Terry Diltz. There's only two offices, pastor and deacon. And so as a church, I want us to be mindful of praying for all of our pastors. But first, let's pray. Father, give us understanding of your word, Lord. I pray now that you'd apply it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Number one, a godly leader understands his responsibilities, verses one through five. There's a Greek word here, logizomai, and it's the word that Paul uses, let a man regard. It has the idea of logic, the way we reason, the way we think about a pastor. He says, "Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God." Two ways, as servants Sometimes people get the idea of the pastor. I remember years ago, a young man came to Christ and he said, you know what? I want the top job in the church. I said, well, I, that'd be Jesus. He's already got that job. You can't have that job. And what did, how did Jesus demonstrate that we're supposed to operate as Christians? He said, you that would lead, you have to become the servant of all. And he began to wash all the disciples' feet And then he went to the cross and laid his life down for us. He's a servant leader, but we are servants. And the word servant just is the idea of someone on a ship, a slave ship, they're carrying goods for the empire. And on the bottom, you have the slaves that are doing the rowing, the galley, the lowest galley slaves. Paul said, think about pastors that way. They are servants of Christ. And yet for all of us, That is the highest calling in life to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And then a steward. What's a steward? He's someone that handles somebody else's things like Joseph. When he became a slave in Egypt, went to Potiphar's house, Potiphar put him in charge of everything and God blessed. And later, remember Potiphar's wife lied about him and so he went to prison. But in prison, Pretty soon, they begin to see, if you put Joseph in charge of something, he'll handle it, and you will increase. And pretty soon, he went from being a servant in prison to being the prime minister of all of Egypt. But he was still a servant, wasn't he? He served the Pharaoh. He served all the people of Egypt. So a steward is one who is just managing the household or has responsibilities, like a foreman on the ranch for somebody else. And he says in the next verse, the number one responsibility of stewards is that you be found trustworthy. Or it says in the King James, faithful, faithful. Moses, and I mentioned this often, I want us to get in our mind, in our heart. Moses is probably the greatest leader the world has ever seen. And yet he had never had any big ideas. In fact, he did have some big ideas, and that didn't turn out so well. He ended up being a murderer, and God said, "Nope, I'm not going to have you be a leader this way." So he had to go to the wilderness for 40 years and learn how to herd sheep, so that later he could become the shepherd of God's people. But how did he lead? How was he the greatest leader? Simple. He went in to the meeting with God in the tent of meeting. God would tell him what to do and he would go out and tell the people. That's the whole job of a pastor. Understand what God has said and tell the people what God said. That's no big ideas. Long time ago, Terry Dills asked me, long time ago, probably 27 years ago more, 30 years ago. He said, pastor, what's your five-year goals? And I had to think about that. Well, I guess follow Jesus today. That's it, because I don't know where the Lord's going out there. But he does. So it's our responsibility to stay open to the Lord and stay in his word and stay tuned in to what he's saying so that we would be fine faithful. See, God has saved us on purpose. He saved us for a purpose, and he's gifted us for that purpose. And we don't see it all. We don't know about tomorrow tomorrow but we know who holds tomorrow and we know who holds our hand. It's our responsibility to be faithful today. So pastors are supposed to be faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the word of God. Don't figure out how to make the church successful because you see, that'll go against That worldly philosophy, being faithful to God's word, will go up against what the world says is success and how to get people in the church. Because in America, we think, well, success is when you get a lot of people in the church. And you know what? We're thrilled when people come to Christ. And we're thrilled when a church gets big enough to really handle, become an engine for ministry. But that's God's business. Pastor's business is just to make sure they're faithful to the word of God. John MacArthur said years ago, God, I'll go as deep as I can. You just make it as broad as you want it. It's required in stewards that a man be found trustworthy. 2 Timothy 4, Paul told Timothy in his last words to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready In season and out of season. When it's acceptable culturally, when it's not acceptable. When the church likes it, when they don't like it. You preach the word. Always give people the word. Reprove, that's not fun. Exhort with all long suffering and patience. Why? Because the time will come in every church when people, they don't want to hear the word. And there will be people come in that will turn their hearts away because they'll tell them what they want to hear. You know, you can do it. Positive thinking. Yet the word doesn't say that. Be faithful to the word. Then he says, to me, it's a very small thing that I'd be examined by you. A lot of people in churches, in most churches, and maybe not this church, think it's their job, you know, give the pastor kind of around Sunday dinner a scorecard on how he did. And there are some pastors that are really anxious about, well, did I do okay today? I have one person I ask, my wife. And she's very good to encourage me and to say, you shouldn't have said that. But she's not talking about biblical truth. She's talking about sometimes my stories that I add in. You know, eh, I'm not sure that was so good. And I listen to her because I know she loves me. But Paul's saying here, listen, it's not that he doesn't care about the people When it comes to the criticizing of them, because that's what's going on in Corinth, they're criticizing his ministry. And there are some that are not just criticizing, they're trying to pull people away into apostasy. He said, I want you to know something. I really don't care what you think. You see, he says, I don't even judge myself. Now, he says, as far as I know, there's no unconfessed sin in my life, but that really doesn't count either. There's one that judges me, and that's the Lord. He's the one that counts. Romans fourteen four, Paul said, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. How many children are discouraged by half-baked parents that think it's their job to point out where the pastor made a grammatical error and there's just consistent and constant and pretty soon the kids grow up and they think, well, pff, we don't have to listen to pastors, you know? And then they wonder later, how come... Johnny's not interested in the gospel. How can be so angry against the Lord? Paul's making a point here, isn't he? He's saying, "Listen, take the word of God and see how it deals with you." But it's just a human condition that we think we look better if we know where somebody misstepped, or they got off a little bit, and we make mountains out of molehills. So godly pastors are servants of God, period. They are stewards of the word. That's their responsibility. Teach the word. We have, as shepherds of this church, no personal authority in your lives. We don't. You may go to some churches and and they say, well, you better do what the pastor says. No, no, don't worry about what the pastor says unless God, he's just telling you what God said. I used to think that I had to have all these answers as a young pastor. It was kind of scary because I was like 29 or 30 and older people were coming and say, what should I do about this pastor? I'm like, oh, oh, let's see. Right? And then I'd tell them something and then I'd have to go back and say, you know I was really wrong in that. It's really over here. And then I'm beginning to understand, I don't have all the answers for your life. My job is to feed you the word so you know the Lord well enough because I want you to see God working in your life. And then you're going to have the equipment to be able to make those decisions and ultimately do the work of the minister. I'm so thankful for this church. We see it on so many fronts, things that the elders don't even know what's going on, and yet there's ministry taking place. There's no organization when somebody goes in the hospital. Now, we used to have somebody, I think Irene took care of a lot of that, take meals to somebody. Now, Irene's still taking meals, but it's based upon her small group. Or somebody else, hey, we need to get meals over there. And people are doing the work of the ministry. They're taking responsibility. And you know what? You're experiencing that joy from that also. Pastors are to be faithful. And then focused on Christ for their judgment and their reward, not on men even when it comes to their money and salaries. Young young men headed to the ministry, hear me on this. Don't worry about, if God's called you to a place, do not worry about what your salary is. Now, when they give you opportunity, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, listen, you want me to come. You guys seem to be doing pretty well, but I've got a family, and so here's kind of what it takes to, to raise a family. It's okay for them to understand that. But once you have accepted that opportunity, look at God for his provision. And the joy of seeing God provide separate from the budget, supernaturally. And I tell you how many times the boys needed athletic shoes. And Chris said, why do they gotta have different shoes for every sport? Honey, you don't understand, we just do. And I go to Kmart, because there was no Walmart. And the shoes they needed would be on sale. And I would walk out of there just going, God, you are so good. So good. Secondly, verses six through eight. Spirit-filled pastor is an able teacher. And then Paul gives us a little example of how he's teaching things. Sometimes we have our seminary students and they think it's about just expositing the words so you get every Greek nuance in there. It's not just the information. A spirit-filled pastor is is to be challenging. He's to be inspirational and he's to be fruitful in his teaching. Kind of like spiritual leadership. Uh, The one book we read on spiritual leadership, it's called Spiritual Leadership. It's by uh, Oswald Chambers, I believe. He said if you think you're a spiritual leader and you look behind and nobody's following, you're just taking a walk, right? Spiritual leader, if he's really spirit-filled and he's teaching the word of God, there will be fruit. And it's not our job simply to say, well, there it is, what are you gonna do with it? There's a certain part we have to leave without with the Lord, but we're teaching for change, for maturity, I tell young men all the time, listen, it's not your job just to lay it out there. You need to inspire people. And God will help you do that. Understand that's part of the responsibility of being a courageous teacher. Courageous because we have to teach what God says to a situation in spite of how we think they're going to receive it. And that's what he does here. He dealing, it seems like, some young men that have an attitude about him because they've figured out they're smarter than him. In fact, they they think they got God figured out too. Now, I'll tell you this with this little parentheses before. I love it when young men think they have things figured out. And the reason I love it is because they want to know God and they want to know the truth. But the very important phrase that we need to remember, Paul hits it right here. Now, these things, brethren, I have a figure to apply to myself and Apollos. What things? About the fact that we're just servants. We go sow where he tells us and tell and we sow what God tells us to do. We're to be faithful to that, but we look to God for reward. We look to God for his leadership and discipline in our life. He says, I want you to understand that so that you may not learn to exceed what is written. Now listen, that doesn't mean that if you go to a church someplace, find a new church, and there's a guy up there teaching, but he's not teaching the word. You haven't gone beyond The word and saying, This is not the church for our family. Or you go to a church where maybe the pastor seems to do a good job, but everybody kind of leaves it. Nobody's obeying. You're not going beyond the word in your discernment to say, No, this is not the church for us. You're going on beyond the word in this case when you say, Begin to criticize other things. Well, Paul's just not smooth, or maybe. Paul the apostle, he's just too dogmatic. Or, you know, he's kind of small and wimpy. I'd rather have a big athletic guy. Maybe Paulus was bigger, I don't know. But they were going beyond the word in their criticism because Paul was saying with him and Paulus and with Peter, they were all faithful men to the word. Different giftednesses, different personalities, but all faithful to the word. That's how you judge. You may go to the church and maybe the pastor's different. They used to tell me that well, you're just not like pastor so-and-so. And I said, well, do I look like him? No, I'm not him. I'm not gonna be like anybody else. Neither is any pastor. God, All of God's pastors are so unique. There's only one of them. And their responsibility isn't to be like anybody else. Hear me, seminary students. You're not called to be like John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, anybody else. You may have some heroes. Those are good things. But you're not even called to be Spurgeon. You're called to be you, filled with the Holy Spirit. God will use your personality, your gift. That's an amazing thing. But there's something else here. These guys were getting puffed up with their knowledge. And they'd gone beyond Scripture. Well, if this is true, obviously this is true. Kind of like double predestination. Since God chose those to be saved before the foundation of the world, obviously he chose some to send to hell. Well... That's not what the Bible says. But Paul, that's logical. It may be logical, but it's not biblical. So don't go there. This is a great verse for that, isn't it? Stick to the text. What does the Bible say? The problem is with the Bible, there's things we can't figure out. That's okay because God wrote it. And you can figure God out. He's not God. And some things we just have to leave there. Chuck Swindoll said, don't try to unscrew the inscrutable. Don't go beyond what's written. And these guys, obviously, the little Jack Horner syndrome—they stuck in their thumb and they pull out a plum and they say, "Oh, look what I got!" You know, a little poem. And he said, "Listen, who regards you as superior? You think God's really impressed with your knowledge? God's really blown away with how deep you are in your theology? He's not." Nobody really, you just, you're just set yourself up to be superior. And then here's the pastor and he's being kind of strong. Look at what he says. What do you have you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Like you figured it all out on your own. You are already filled. You already become rich. You become kings without us. And that's kind of the attitude. We don't need Paul anymore. Psst, who's he? Little tiny guy thinks he knows it all. Yeah, he said indeed. I wish you had become kings, that we might reign with you. Thirdly, the apostle Paul was very honest and he was humble about his place in the world. And in parentheses, I kind of put, so you want to be a pastor? Hmm. Verse nine. For I think God has exi- exhibited us as apostles, last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent. You see the extension there? Oh, we're just fools. There are so many in Christianity, especially American Christianity, we figured out how we can be Christians and be cool so we can you know, fit into the world and, and be that great influence because we've figured it out. We are so prudent. We don't want to be fanatic Paul, like the pastor, we hear that a lot. You know, well, well, yeah, pastor's just a little more dogmatic than we really need personally in our own lives. Because you've figured out prudence, how to be able to take the word of God and not get radical. You know, be able to, you know, have some moderation in your life. Learn how to be half baked and really have it still smell good, right? He says. You are prudent in Christ. We are weak. You are strong. You are distinguished as citizens. Oh, you figured out how to take your place in the world. Oh, look, we're taking a stand for the Lord. All Everybody says well about us. You know, I begin to get a little worried. We're building this church, and, and man, everybody started, they're worried about what we're gonna build, and first they thought we were building like a bomb shelter or a water retention facility or something, and then these beautiful Pillars and bents went up and they went, oh, we, we, we probably should visit that church. And I remember the first couple Sundays, people from town became, and you could see the look on their face. Oh, 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 that, oh, yeah, that's what's going on here. Because we opened the word of God and we preached. It didn't match their idea of distinguished citizens they just taking it cool and prudent. Paul says, you're distinguished. We're without honor. To this present hour, we are hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed. We're roughly te- treated. We are homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. Why was that important? Because in that culture, in the Roman culture, you didn't work with your own hands. You had a servant do that for you. And yet the gospel was so important to Paul He had a business, and it was a very successful business. It's been a great challenge in our life as a church. He supported seven other people in this business. They were employees and worked there as Paul was full-time turning the world upside down with the gospel. But in Roman culture, you didn't get your hands dirty. You let some servant be a tin maker. Paul worked with leather, and so he probably made saddles and harnesses and all kinds of things. They said, oh... Paul, you know, he's still on that thing. You know, he hasn't figured out how to be an investor and just kind of relax and let his money roll in. When we are reviled, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. Listen, that, my friends, is supernatural. Because Paul was an attorney. Remember? Remember? He was there stirring up the riot to kill Stephen. He wasn't conciliating any kind of opposite argument until God had an argument with him on the road to go persecute the Christians and the arguing stopped with Paul. He just said, hey, Lord, who are you? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Here's the apostle Paul, brilliant attorney. And he says, when people slander me, I try to work it out with them. I try to see what their real arguments are so I can maybe bring some light to them so they can see Jesus. Wasn't worried about himself. When he slandered, he tries, oh, that's tough, isn't it? That's hard. That's supernatural. We try to conciliate. We have become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. He understood See, as an attorney, he could have had a really, really cool position in life. But as a preacher of the gospel, mm, not so much. Fourthly, a pastor is an example to follow. He's confident in his relationship to the Lord. Paul says, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ lots of disciples, you only have one father. Paul said, I was your spiritual father. I saw you come to Christ. He realized he didn't save them. The Lord saved them. But he's the one that brought the gospel to them. He's the one that labored his hands to support himself so that he could share the gospel. And they saw his life up close and personal. So you may have a lot of advisors now, but you only have one spiritual father. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, consider those that brought the word to you. Follow those. Years ago, a good friend of mine had come to know the Lord. In fact, we talked this week, 27 years ago. And as a young man, he was learning different things and he came up with a kind of different doctrine from what we teach. And in times, well, he was going that way. And I said, you know, there's a lot of different opinions out there. But this is what my dad taught me. This is what John MacArthur teaches. This is the men in my life. And so you know what? I'm not smarter than you. I'm just going to keep following because it's biblical. He looked at me, he said, hmm, well, that's good enough for me too then. There's something about that. And he says, listen, listen, I want you to, I want to exhort you to be imitators of me. Say, whoa, that's, that's really, and you might say, I follow no man. Well, Paul was pretty strong about this. You imitate me as I follow Christ. So it's not that the pastor is perfect or our pastors are perfect, but they strive for this standard that they might be examples. If they can't be examples, they can't be pastors. And you look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it's a pretty extensive list of how they handle their family, how they deal with money. All these character things, they have to be found examples. For this reason, I, saw, I sent Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and who reminds you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Fifthly, Spirit-filled pastor is not afraid of confrontation. Why? Because he just likes to straighten people out? No. Because he feels responsible for his flock, for his people. He says, now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming. Well, Paul was here, but he's long gone. He's never coming back. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I'll find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Ooh, that's good. Paul's not afraid to say, listen, I was faithful in giving the word to you. These guys trying to pull you apart, we'll see how brave they are, these wolves, when I show up with the sword. He goes on to say, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. There's a lot of false teachers out there telling you just try hard, just do it. You can have your best life right here and now. And you know, God wants you to have everything you can get out of life and, and get all you can and can all you get and then sit on the lid. Problem is, there's no power in it. It sounds good to the fleshly human ear. My son David followed uh his wife over to, she wasn't his wife yet. She invited him to come visit her in Zimbabwe. She was on mission in Zimbabwe. So he went over there and that's where he proposed to her to marry her on the mission field. While we're there, there was, the health and wealth gospel had been exported from America to this very poor country. And their church building was just opulent. David said, it's made you sick. And all the people would flood in there because they were promising that God wants you to be rich in this world. And it's a lie. And there's no power in it, there's only discouragement in it. It's just meant to make the leadership richer and richer, but not the people. There's no power in it. He said, God's servants desire God's supernatural results. They want to see God work in people's lives, and the people see that's God working. That's the goal. Not just build a big congregation and have a lot of mission. Because you see, when you know it's God leading you in your life, you become very bold in what God has called you to do, too. That's the goal for pastors. God's servant desires God's supernatural results. And that only comes as a result of uncompromising, obedient, biblical shepherding. There are shortcuts. Lynn and I have talked about this. You know, your your shepherds, your elders are praying right now. How do we facilitate this growing church? The money's not in the bank to do it. And uh, there are groups out there, they call themselves ministries and they will come in and fleece your sheep for you. Don't worry, we're not gonna do that. And they come in and they kind of buttonhole each family and they make them feel guilty about not giving and then they get them to to commit and then they're signed up to give and then you build your building and they take about half the money. It's just wrong. We're gonna protect you from that. We just want you to do what God wants you to do, period. We wanna see, you know, I love hearing stories how when Young people, maybe young married couples, they first begin to tithe, and they say, oh, we can't do it. We can't afford this. How can we afford to do this? And then they do it. The exciting part is not how much money they gave. That's probably inconsequential as far as the world looks at it. What's so powerful, what's so exciting is when you hear the story of, we didn't have any money. And then some groceries arrived, or we got a check in the mail, and it was totally Unrelated to anything they did, they just trusted God. And what do they learn? Hmm. God cares about me. God cares about my little insignificant situation. And I believe that Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. Now, God's servants have no authority other than the word of God. They're responsible, responsible to teach it Clearly. We know that obedience is something only God can work in a heart. The decisions are yours. So we have to learn not to be too heavy hearted when we see you making compromising decisions and heading off toward a wreck. That's hard for us. And we might say, you know, I love you. I think you're heading toward a wreck. But we're not there to change it because we know ultimately God's the shepherd. And we can't get too angry because you're not growing fast enough. That's not our business either. But we are involved. And Paul asked these Corinthians in the last verse "So how you want me to handle the situation. I can come with a rod or I can come with the spirit of gentleness. And he's bold in this, isn't he? Why? Because he has the stewardship of this church that God empowered him to plant and he knows some wolves have come in and they're distracting some of the people that are sincere, but now they've become distracted and he's gonna handle the situation. He says, now you make a decision about your own attitude. You want me to come in love or you want to come with a rod in a spirit of gentleness? So lastly, how would Paul say And the apostles, how do they want you to respond to your pastors? Now we've seen kind of how pastors think and how they operate. How do you want to respond? How should you be responding to godly pastors? Number one, walk in the truth. John wrote in John 4, 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. One of the greatest joys is when you and we as pastors see you Making those decisions, we know those are God decisions. We go, wow, the Bible is true. You say, well, you already knew that. I know that. But over and over, we get to see you find that out too. And it blesses our heart to keep preaching, keep teaching. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey them that rule over you. And that, that idea is just teaching the word as they that must give an account that they might give it with joy and not with grief for that's unprofitable for you we teach the word you make the decision about it but what a joy it is to a pastor when people decide to honor God their lives they decide to obey the word of God secondly 1thessalonians 5 verse 12 appreciate the pastors and get along with one another that's the great joy He said, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Thirdly, pray for them for protection from the enemy, for boldness, and for power and fruitfulness. Every once in a while, Wade or somebody who's been around here a long time will say, you know, Paul, I just, I just feel bad when I think about all the things you've gone through, and all the ornery people you've had to deal with. Like, I don't think about that, Wade. What I think about is all the people that have come to Christ and all the fruitfulness of ministry and being in a church that loves to hear the word of God. And lastly, praise God for them. Thank the Lord for them. I appreciate the Bible says communicate with them that teach. And I appreciate it coming up and say, Man, Pastor, you really got me here. Or did my has my wife been talking to you? You know, because you know you're really getting close to home this morning. And they say it with a smile, because they know that's what the Lord ministered to them. And I appreciate that because pastors want to know they're hitting the mark in discipleship and in teaching. But ultimately. When somebody might say, oh, we're just so thankful for you. It's like, whoa, stop. Give the glory to God. Why? Because it is God at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's God. It's God's ministry. It's God's fruitfulness. It's God's word. It's the Lord. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for this kind of insight into the apostle Paul's heart. and how pastors actually function, and their burden, their challenges, and how he was very, very honest and very straightforward because he loves your church. Lord, as pastors, Lord, that we might be found faithful. Lord, thank you for the church that, uh, church that prays for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.